lot of employment issues in the news lately, vaccine mandates, as you know, and whistleblowers uh, uh, testifying before the Senate. With us to break down what all these kinds of things mean for everyone is one of the foremost employment law experts in the city of Chicago, Jill O'Brien. She's a partner in the very well-known law firm of Lehner Muchin, and she's practiced for over 30 years representing employers in all types of employment matters. Jill, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Karen. Always good to talk to you. Let's um, let's start with President Biden's vaccine mandate. Can you just very simply break it down and tell us what it means for employers and then again what it means for the employees? Sure. Um, first of all, I want to mention that um, the, the, the federal mandates, there are several different pieces. You've got some for healthcare workers. You've got some that are unique to um, employees who are employed by the federal government. You also have some at the state level. Um, the the uh, Governor Pritzker has an executive order out that requires healthcare workers and um, paramedic firefighters to have, um, you know, to be vaccinated. So I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the general um, Biden mandate. And that is a recent um, directive, frankly, that he gave to OSHA uh, a couple weeks back, telling OSHA to come up with a plan and to enforce uh, you know, OSHA is the federal agency that's designed to maintain safety in the workplace. And basically, the Biden administration has told OSHA, come up with a plan. We want to have every employer who has over 100 employees to make it a requirement, a condition of the job to become vaccinated. And if they're not going to be vaccinated, then the only other alternative would be for them to wear masks at work and also to submit a negative test result at least once a week. So under this mandate, OSHA would have the authority to force employers to comply with this policy and employers, you know, they would have the authority that they have in different aspects of, you know, workplace safety to say, if you don't comply, we're going to enforce it by means of, you know, hearings, fines, et cetera. Uh, the, The point is to put the burden on employers to help get more people vaccinated. If you believe what they're saying, the White House is saying that it's an estimate of um, an additional 80 million workers uh, that will be affected if this is in place. Now, just so because 80 million more people getting vaccinated, and and I and we all know those goals and and why those goals are there. Um, but let's just say if you're that doesn't mean though that employers under 100 can't mandate vaccinations, right? That's a great point. And in fact, in my business, we represent only employers. And what we've seen is, I would say the majority of our employer clients are having policies that are leaning towards uh, either a mandatory vaccination by year end or certainly late fall or requiring all employees to submit to periodic testing to make sure that they, you know, those employees who are in the workplace are at least testing on a periodic basis. So that's all sizes. Employers can require this. They've always been able to require this. Um, The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has said it is absolutely lawful for an employer to have an across-the-board policy that everyone must be vaccinated, um, subject to very few narrow exceptions. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And, you know, I just think of myself, putting myself in your shoes, Jill, where you're advising employers who come to you and say, 
oh, if I put in this vaccination mandate, uh, I, could, I could get sued by people who don't want to get it. But on the other hand, if people get sick on the workplace, is that going to cause dissension? Is that going to cause people, are my health insurance premiums going to go up? I mean, are, are all these things things that you counsel these employers on? Every day. You're absolutely so right here. And that is the dilemma um, from employer's perspective. And I, I know your listeners know that if you're an employer, particularly in Chicago, it's hard to get people to come in the door and work for you. And it's even harder to get them to stay once they're here. (laughs) Um, Certainly more industries are affected than others. But um, I think when we first started talking about this before the vaccine was in place and we thought, well, everybody's going to want to get vaccinated. um, And that just hasn't proven to be the case. There are a lot of employees who say, if you force me to get vaccinated, I will walk out that door. And I think employers didn't anticipate that at first, but that is definitely a reality. Um, And certainly in more industries, you know, um, in my business, what I'm seeing is police and firefighters, public employers in particular, are some of the ones that resist the vaccine requirement. It's just interesting to me. The whole thing is interesting that and and, and it's a variety of issues. I mean, I hear people say medical issues. I see people saying it's an invasion of my rights. Yet these are people who bring their children in to get vaccinated when they're, you know, very young. And uh, so it's just it's it's just an interesting phenomenon. And and I I I think of people who don't want it sometimes think of it as a great burden when, in fact, we're in this country where we get a free vaccination to help us not be sick. It's kind of how I look at it, but that's my, that's how I'm wired. Um, oh, and, and I'm with you there. Um, I personally, you know, I have parents in my eight, in their 80s. So to me, I feel I have a right as an employee to go to work without having to be afraid that the person sitting next to me might, you know, be unvaccinated. I mean, you look at the Delta variant and a lot of people are saying that is a pandemic of the unvaccinated because 99% of the individuals who catch the Delta variant have been unvaccinated. That's not an accident. That's a, a direct correlation between those who are vaccinated and those who get the Delta variant. Um, I do see there's both sides, and I do know that my view is the narrow view. Yeah. Um, I, I do know that there's a lot of people who feel strongly about, hey, the mask and the testing option is equally effective. And so why don't you let me decide what's best for me and my body? And this is kind of not really relevant to what our conversation has been. But, you know, one of the things that I'm telling people uh, now, I occasionally help people get jobs and, 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 and they ask me to look over a resume. I'm sure you get that as well. And I'm telling people, put it on there. I'm vaccinated. You know, put it on there like so it. that the employer doesn't have to question it and doesn't know that there's not going to be an issue with it. And I would think that's, you know, if you if you're proficient in Word and you're proficient in Excel spreadsheets, put on that you're you're vaccinated. It's a positive. And not only that, as an employee, as a business owner, tell your customers whether, you know, all of our delivery people are vaccinated. You know, I think it's a good sell for your products I agree. and your services. Totally you agree know. with you, you know, especially if you're dealing with people who have compromised immune systems or who are older. Uh, let's take a break, and then I want to talk a little bit about those exemptions. And we hear a lot yeah. about a medical exemption. We have religious beliefs. What are we really talking about? I want to talk to you about that, and I also want to get to the whistleblower law. We're here with Jill O'Brien. She's a partner in Lehner Mutual, and we'll be back in a minute on the Karen Conti Show. We're talking to Jill O'Brien, who's a partner at Lehner Muchen, and she represents employers in all kinds of matters, mediations, uh, arbitrations, and gives them advice, wise advice uh, uh, for a long time here. 
Thank you for joining us, Jill. Um, let's talk a little bit about these exemptions that uh, we hear about so that you don't have to get the vaccine if you have a serious medical issue and or a religious uh, uh, belief. Can you talk first about, you know, let's just say that you have a religious belief and let's just say you have a medical issue. Can the employer still refuse to accommodate you? So the answer to that question is generally going to be a no. If you have a sincerely held religious belief, then that is one of the reasons where you can seek and apply for an an exception to the mandate that somebody get vaccinated, okay, if you have a sincerely held religious belief. But all of the, um, you know, most common religions have come out and said that they're not opposed to um, the uh, mandatory vaccine policy and encourage their members to get vaccinated. So it really is somebody who claims to have a particularly unique religious belief and somebody who claims that they are, you know, I'll give you an example where I've seen it come up is I've had, Um, a client who had an employee who got a request off the internet, a letter from the priest that says, you know, dear employer, my um, constituent here will not be able to get vaccinated because um, we don't believe in Western medicine. We want no medical attention. Well, that doesn't help me understand whether or not this person is eligible for an exemption. Number one, what is the sincerely held religious belief? And when this first came out, people were saying, well, I don't like it because there was um, fetal cells were used in research and in studies. Um, and, of course, you know, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, they've all come out and, and made it clear that there are no fetal cells used in any of the vaccination materials that are used. So to the extent somebody uses that as an excuse, it's not a good one. Um, but somebody might say, well, they used the fetal cells for research. And then the question that I've seen, most employers, frankly, the religious objection is not something that's commonly raised. So most employers will just say, look, it's one or two people that ask for it. So I'll just make an exception for them and I won't make the person, you know, jump through the ringer on trying to prove that it's a sincerely held belief. But I did have one person who recently came forward and said, here's my belief. I don't like medicine. Well, okay, you won't get, you know, you don't like being vaccinated. You don't like any medical attention, but this same employee a month ago was in the hospital for workers' comp injury. The same employee has had, you know, the smallpox vaccines and hepatitis vaccines. So it's certainly grounds for an employer to question whether that's a genuinely held religious belief or whether this is somebody just trying to jump on the bandwagon. I don't want to sound cynical, but the ability to argue that somebody has a religious objection is a really, really narrow yeah, one right. and, and, and very rarely granted but jill isn't Both it of these but, that i see but, oh, but you could let's just say but an employer could still say i believe you and you have a religious belief about okay let's just say that we assume that but the employer could say it has to be a reasonable situation it can't cause me undue hardship so because if i have yeah. you in even though you've got this really good religious belief you're still going to impact my workplace and you're still going to cause people to be sick perhaps or spread the virus. And I, right. I, can't, I can't accommodate you. Is that something that an employer can say? Well, absolutely. And that is the standard. You've, you've given all the buzz phrases and that is an employer has a duty to reasonably accommodate an individual if they are disabled and maybe they're allergic to the vaccine or if they have a religious belief. So, okay, so that puts the burden on the employer to say, how can we reasonably accommodate you? 
keep in mind when it's a you know a, a reasonable accommodation request at some point it becomes unreasonable and that's at the point of undue hardship as you suggested in united airlines cases that we've been hearing about in the news um certainly their situation i think they're going to have a pretty darn good chance of proving that it's an undue hardship to grant i think it was 600 employees a, a, a reasonable accommodation to be exempt from the policy in their view, there's 100 facilities. They'd have to train and do testing and, you know, the administration every single day of enforcing these exceptions, I think is impractical. And I think it would be an undue hardship to suggest that they could allow the alternative of testing. So in their case, they've said, we'll reasonably accommodate you, but our reasonable accommodation is going to be an unpaid leave of absence until at least when the pandemic's over. So keep in mind, reasonable accommodation doesn't mean what the employee is asking for in all cases. It means let's look at the alternatives. It might mean I can't get vaccinated, but I can work from home. It might be I can't get vaccinated, but if you put me in a new office in the back of the plant, I can make sure I'm not with people or I can do Zoom meetings so that I'm not in contact with customers, et cetera. Um, There are certainly things that are reasonable. And as you said, there's things that are unreasonable and constitute an undue hardship which causes the employer to have to deny it. What's reasonable to United Airlines is going to be different than what's reasonable in a, a you know, five-person barbershop. Of course. Let's let's move topics quickly. We don't have a lot of time, but we're talking about whistleblowers. We were talking about the woman, uh, Frances Haugen, who uh, testified, I thought, very compellingly uh, before the Senate uh, on the issue of Facebook. Can you just tell us very briefly what what does a what does the whistleblower law say, and what kind of people can come forward with this information, and what kind of protections do they get? Yeah, so um, this is actually something that um, Karen, in my practice, I'm seeing a lot more of these claims, both under the federal laws and also at the state level. Um, and the logic is that somebody who has information about misconduct, violation of the law, unethical conduct, should be able to come forward and report that to the government without being subject to retaliation. In my personal view, and I'm biased, obviously, I represent employers, but in my personal view, I think there already are so many laws in place that make it clear that employees have protections against retaliation. And in fact, the number one type of claim that's filed is employees who claim that they were subject to retaliation after having reported that they felt they were the victim of discrimination or harassment. These whistleblower laws go one step higher, and in this case with Facebook, um, Ms. Hagen reported to the SEC that she felt that essentially Facebook was more care- they cared more about profits than they did about the results of their studies. Um, I, again, I'm going to sound cynical here, and because I certainly am biased from an employer's perspective, but I do always when I hear whistleblower complaints, I want to look at the timing. I want to look at was there more to the story? Um, in my personal experience, I've seen a lot of whistleblower complaints raised by employees after they knew the writing was on the wall that they were going to be fired. Um, that's relevant. Did they, you know, what, what else? I want to look at all the facts. In her case, the part that gives me the most heartburn is, I mean, she's admitted, and it's on TV, it's in every, uh, you know, newspaper that you read, that she's actually taken without authorization tens of thousands of documents that potentially contain Facebook's confidential information. She was a high-level employee put in that job, given access to information, presumably with the understanding and expectation that she wouldn't be sharing it. Um, If she did, in fact, have access to unethical information, as she claims, and I'm not saying that she didn't, and I'm not saying that, you know, I don't 
I don't know. Um, I only know what I read and hear. But I can tell you, I I struggle with why, if it was wrong, somebody did something wrong at Facebook, why did she then come in the middle of the night and copy thousands of emails and reports? I, I also question, because I do see it a lot in my practice, when an employee says that they're raising this unethical complaint or this, you know, this complaint of unfairness, oftentimes it might be that they just don't know the whole story. They know what they saw. They might think that the company, Facebook, or whoever the employer is, tolerated some unethical act. But the reality is they only knew half the story. So, for example, Karen, if I let you leave early tomorrow um, and, and, you know, your employer says you can leave early tomorrow because you're going to chemotherapy with your mother and I can't leave early to go to the Sox game, well, that might seem unfair. So I'm going to assume the worst. I'm going to assume that you're treating me unfairly and it's illegal. When the reality is, I simply don't know why my employer made certain decisions. That, that makes and sense. I yeah, that, that makes, with that. makes makes a lot of sense. Um, there's more to this, and we sh- we have a longer conversation. And we just ran out of time. Jill O'Brien, oh, okay. partner with Lander Mutin, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you all, my listeners, for listening in. Uh, go Sox, go Bears, and go Rick Hogan, who's coming up next. Uh, we'll see you on October 24th, which is my next show. You're listening to WGN.